Welcome back to this week's episode of Husky Talk. We're your hosts, Elise Landon and Jordan. This week on our show, we have a very experienced musher. He has raced in the Yukon Quest, I did a ride, and was last year's John Bear Grease champion. Please welcome to our show, Blake Frecking. Hello, Blake. How are you today? I'm great. How are you doing? Pretty good. Thanks for asking. Thanks for joining us today on, on today's podcast. Before we start, You're our, welcome. Thanks for having me. Before we start our interview with you, we are going to test your Iditarod knowledge. We have five Iditarod questions for you. All right, hit me. Who was the first female champ, champion of the Iditarod? The first champion? Mm-hmm. Female. Dick Wilmarth. Female. First female, Libby Riddles. Great. What is the halfway checkpoint for the, the northern route? Uh, cripple. Yep. How many minutes apart do mushers start? Uh, two minutes typically. Good job. Great. Except they have commercial breaks at the at the uh, ceremonial start. Yeah. Yeah. What was used for the very first finish line? First finish line. I. I believe I heard they used Tang. Close. Kool-Aid. Oops. Kool-Aid. <laughs> Who has the fastest finish time? Mitch Seavey. Yep. Good job. You were four out of five on the trivia. Now on to find a little bit more about you. First of all, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Certainly. So I grew up in the southwest corner of Minnesota on a farm with a bunch of livestock, and uh, we raised a lot of different crops, corn and soybeans primarily. Um, I was always interested in sled dogs and started skidjuring uh, when I was in school yet and got out. And at the time, Alaska seemed a long ways away, and I didn't foresee it in my future. But uh, I started looking for more dogs and uh, eventually met my future wife, and she was in Alaska at the time, training for the junior Iditarod. And uh, through her, I met some folks that she was uh, staying with up there, Earl and Natalie Norris. And they were both kind of heroes of mine. And Earl was in Rochester having some medical work done and asked if I wanted to meet him. Mm. So I said, absolutely. And I went out to Rochester and met him. And they threw out this idea of handling at their kennel. That's and funny. I thought about it. And I just couldn't pass the opportunity up, so I quit my job and headed for Alaska. And uh, they were both in their early 80s and still had 100 dogs. And we, uh, the first year, there was another person there running their Iditarod team that year, Sean Seidlinger. So I was handling for him and training and running the puppies. And they liked the way I worked with the dogs and uh, asked if I wanted to run their team. And I did the very following year or so about... About eight months after my very first sled run, I was signed up for Iditarod and uh, went up there and got my qualifiers in and had a great race, just had a good time, and I was hooked ever since. So after my second year in Alaska, I went back home to Minnesota with a few of my own dogs and got together with Jennifer, who's my wife now, and she had a bunch of dogs at the time, and she was in vet school. So while she was in vet school, I was training um her dogs and a few of mine and uh i guess that's kind of how things rolled from there since then um 
We moved to Isabella, Minnesota, Isabella, Finland area, in the northeast corner of the state, and currently have two daughters and about 64 dogs. And that's about it, happily ever after. That's really cool. So we noticed you have done several big name races, like the Iditarod Yukon Quest and the Bear Greeks. Talk to us about those different experiences. All right. So like I said, my first Iditarod was I was very much a rookie in every regard. I learned so much. Um, as I was traveling down the trail that first year, I was just there to learn. I was certainly not competitive in any any regard. And I quickly learned that to really perform in that race and to succeed in that race, it had everything to do with dog care. And I vowed throughout the course of that race that I would learn as much as I could about caring for my team and, and taking care of the group. And I did, and I observed what other mushers were doing and um, was working on my dogs a lot. Uh, so I learned a lot about massage, a lot about um, just overall care and feeding and, and all that, those portions of, of taking care of the team. Um, so it certainly had its challenges, but in the end, I had a wonderful, wonderful trip across Alaska. And truly at that point, I was hooked and went back to Minnesota. Um, we ran, I did rod for, a, or sorry, Bear Grease for a few years and then, uh, went back and I ran Yukon Quest. And later my wife, Jen and I ran, I did rod together in 2008 with two separate teams. And then I ran uh, I did route again in 2010. So some of the differences, um, the Yukon Quest, after doing I did route and a bunch of other races, I think the Yukon Quest made me a more well-rounded musher. It's a, it's certainly a different experience, you know, with nine, I believe it has nine checkpoints versus the 22-ish in I did route. Um, so it's, you know, you're much more self-reliant and camping on the trail a fair amount more, just less, less support overall. So I think it, you know, that experience made me a better musher. And basically all those years in between, I was running Bear Greases, and I believe I've run 12 or 13 now. So, Are you and your wife doing any races this year? Yeah, so we're both currently signed up for the Gunflint Mail Run, which is in uh, northeast Minnesota. We're running the Bear Grease, which goes along the North Shore. Um Let's see, we'll probably end up going out to UP, and then uh, at the end of every season, we go north to the Hudson Bay Quest. How did you and your wife feel about taking first and second? <laughs> that was quite an experience. Um, something I certainly didn't expect uh, after I finished. Uh, the last time we had really spoken was at the checkpoint of Trail Center, which is about uh, it's probably about 20 hours from the finish line, and she was having some trouble with her team at that point, and she wasn't feeling very confident. So after I finished, the race marshal came up and said there's a group of four or so mushers coming in, and Jen's team is looking really good. And, <laughs> and I, I sort of blew him off because, you know, last I talked to her, she wasn't feeling very good about her team, and I wasn't expect, expecting her to have a very pleasant run in. But she did, and a few minutes later, he came back and said, they're coming in, and I think you should probably be outside waiting. <laughs> and I was I was totally floored by that. And, um, yeah, it was really a pleasant surprise, and it, it just makes me so proud of our team. And, you know, it kind of says a lot about, you know, 
the care that we put into the dogs and, and seeing some of these dogs literally from moments after birth and then raising them and, you know, turning them into these athletes and seeing them perform at that level is uh, certainly a great feeling. So, yeah, it was, it was wonderful. Can you tell us, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about the Bear Grease race? Sure. So the Bear Grease is named after a man named John Bear Grease, and he was an Ojibwe man who hauled the mail in northern Minnesota. And he would go up and down the North Shore with a, he had a four or five dog team. During the winter, he would deliver mail that way, and during the summer, he would deliver mail uh, via boat on Lake Superior. And I don't know exactly when the Bear Grease started, maybe about 1983, something like that. Um, they started the Bear Grease race in memory of him and what he did. Um, it's a it's a much different race than the I did rod. Much it's it's a different race than anything else. Um, the trail is generally amazing. Um, it's pretty infrequent that we have poor trail conditions, um, but it's got a lot a lot of elevation changes. It has actually in the 350 miles or whatever bear grease is now, um, it's got more elevation change than the Iditarod, where we don't have a lot of mountains, but we have, because it's right on the North Shore of Lake Superior, it's constantly up or down. So it's a lot of climbing and a lot of a lot of descent. Uh, so bear grease, I believe now it's just over 300 miles, um, but, but it has varied quite a bit over the years. Um, let's see. Yeah, I believe there's six checkpoints. Um, that travels for the most part fairly close to the North Shore and then it hits the Gunflint Trail and goes north to Trail Center and then back down and finishes in Grand Portage, which is right up on the Canadian border. What would you say a big reason is that you two were able to f- to get first and second last year? Um, well, I think, um, well, there's a lot of different things our training is always very similar, um, regardless of what we're doing. Our training kind of by default ends up being quite similar. So I think that played a part, certainly. Um, let's see. Dog care is always foremost in our mind. Um, finishing first and second definitely was not. Um, our primary goal is always to finish with a happy happy team with tails wagging and, and screaming at the finish line. And we both... We both had that, but we just ended up one and two at the same time. So um, even though first and second is not necessarily our primary goal, um, it's certainly wonderful when it happens. And uh, to have a happy team at the finish line is is just icing on the cake. Mm, That's really nice. Yeah. We heard while on the Hudson Bay quest, you saw polar bears. Tell us about that experience. So... We, I had never actually seen a polar bear while on the trail. We've seen a lot of tracks over the years. And the, the trail takes us right through the South Denning area. So the polar bears realistically aren't a huge risk for us because they all have, all the sows have cubs at the time. And the boars are out on the sea ice seal hunting. So they're not really an issue. Um, but the sows have cubs and they're, they're primary interest is um keeping them safe and they know that wolves are a risk and they kind of see our dog teams as a pack of wolves so if they do see us or smell us or realize we're in the area they'll usually 
stand clear. And also the uh, the Canadian Rangers follow along on the race, and if there are bears on the trail, they'll chase them off with snow machines and and hopefully keep them at bay a little bit as we're passing through. So I've never actually seen bears on the trail, just tracks and, and sign. So. How do you prepare your dogs to to run such a long such long races? Well, our training is basically all year round. Uh, on our property, we have about three acres enclosed in chain link fence. And after work every day during the summer, we have what we call happy hour, and we just let a big group of dogs loose and just let them run and have a party and socialize and just rip around. And that allows them not only to have that fun social time, but it also, you know, helps them retain some muscle from that previous training year so we can come into the fall just a little bit stronger uh, with our training. But it's just, you know, incremental um, increases in mileage and, you know, do a little speed work. And, um, yeah, they're amazing, amazing athletes and very resilient animals. And, um, you know, if, if given the opportunity, I they could run forever, I believe. But uh, um, that's basically it. And, you know, from from a very young age, we work on confidence training with puppies, and we're teaching them that they can always rely on us, that we're never going to ask anything more of them that they can achieve. And, you know, it's a, it's a big trust that we're trying to create um, as well as confidence. So, so if they always know that you're never going to run them too fast, you're never going to run them too far, um, they'll give you 100%. What is the most challenging thing when preparing your dogs for races? Most challenging thing. So I would say this time of year during early fall training when we're trying to get training in as well as, you know, getting to work every day and, and putting in that time and, and managing that with two daughters and all that, um, that part's a challenge, and usually, you know, we're we're usually training by about 4 a.m. every morning, so the days get a little long um, later in the season, and it's just starting to happen now when it's cool enough throughout the day. Um, we can train at any time, so we don't have those super early mornings, and and uh, so it's a little less fatigue on everyone. But that early season training is usually harder because we're up so early training every day. The next part on our show we call Would You Rather. We are going to give you two choices, and you choose the one you'd rather do. All right. Dream vacation or the Iditarod? Iditarod. Actually, the year that Jennifer and I ran together, that was our dream vacation. <laughs> it was actually our honeymoon. Alaskan Huskies or Siberian Huskies? I'll stick with Siberian Huskies. Champion or Red Lantern? Well, since Champion pays better, I'll stick with Champion. Beargrass or Iditarod? Iditarod. It's been a few years since I've run it, and I do. That's one race I really miss, so I'd say Iditarod. What's your favorite race? I'll stick with Iditarod on that one as well. Yukon Quest and Bear Grease would be a close second, though. Yeah. What is your go-to song to listen to on the trail? So um, when I'm on the trail, I usually don't listen to music just because um, it's just another d distraction, and I think it kind of creates a barrier between me and my dogs. But I do, uh, 
see. When it's really late at night, usually it's about 3.30 or 4 o'clock, and I'm starting to zone out a little bit, I will turn something on just to kind of keep my brain functioning a little bit. And usually it's something, let's see. Actually, your intro song is one of them that, uh, that's on my little list. Finally, we are asking all of our guests to give us three people they they feel they feel would be good guests on our show. Guests. Have you had a lot of mushers on your show? Yes. Mm-hmm. Third season. Um, this is the third season. One person that I think is extremely inspiring and I think would be great on your show is Mike Williams Sr. Actually, Mike Williams Jr. would be great as well. But um, Another one that might be good is Tim White from Grand Marais. He has run I Did Rod, and he was also an early equipment uh, innovator. And he's a pretty fun guy to talk to. And my lovely wife, Jennifer, would be great. She's not only a, a musher and I Did Rod veteran, but she's a veterinarian, so she has a fun perspective. So you listen to our show? I have listened to your show. I listened to your Laura Neese interview. Oh. That's cool. Thank you for taking time out of your day to talk to us. Have a nice day, and good luck, good luck with this season. Thank you very much, and I appreciate you guys doing this podcast and uh, getting the word out. It's great talking to you. Special thanks to our guest, Blake Frecking, for being on our show this week. Subscribe to us on iTunes and tune in next week. We would also like to give credit to Hobo Jim for our theme song, The I Did A Rod Trail Song. And now enjoy a clip from Blake's favorite song, The I Did A Rod Trail Song. Well, way up in Alaska, the state that stands alone, there's a dog race run from Anchorage in the Nome. And it's a grueling race with a lightning pace where the chilly winds do wail. Beneath the northern lights cross snow and the ice that's called the Iditarod Trail. We'll give me a team and a good lead dog and a sled that's built so fine. And let me race those miles to Nome 1049. Then when I get back to my home, hey, I can tell my tale. I did, I did, I did the Iditarod Trail. <laughs> 